where does creativity fit into compliance? In more places than you think. Problem solving, accountability, communication, and connection. They all take creativity. Join your hosts, Tom Fox and Ronnie Feldman on Creativity and Compliance, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, Ronnie goes on an extended rant about how compliance officers are measuring training incorrectly, why they're doing it, and how to correct it. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to this episode of Creativity and Compliance. Say hello to the audience, Ronnie. Hello to the audience. Yes, we are going to try some live streaming this, uh, at least this season, for Creativity and Compliance. And for our first episode, we've got a bit of a rant, uh, long-term rant, that Ronnie (laughs) likes to engage in, and that's measuring the effectiveness of compliance training and how we didn't know it, but we've all been doing it wrong. And Ronnie is going to be able to tell us how to do it right. So, Ronnie, uh, what do you see really around typical measurements of compliance programs and why is it so wrong in your eyes? Well, so for the people who follow this podcast know that I tend to focus on corporate risk content that's sort of the anti-e-learning. You know, it's meant to be short, fun and playful. And I think there are a lot of benefits to that. Um, But one of the questions that comes most often when people approach me and my company, uh, they want to go, well, so uh, how do you measure that? Like, what's the, how do you know the approach works? It's the question about measurement that drives me crazy because not that it's not important, but what what they're asking, I immediately know that what what they're thinking is, well, I do an annual training. I got completion rates. I can show who passed the test. And that, that's their measurement of success because they're trying to create a program that is defensible. Um, and this is what drives me crazy because with all due respect, I don't think that's the right questions to be asking because I don't think anybody thinks that that actually helps people learn and behave differently. Um, so the measurement question is, uh, uh, you know, whether you pass the test um, we all know these, the e-learning, it's like this long bloated thing, or even if it's shorter, it's got the stock photography and the, and the, the bad voiceover from the guy from Ferris Bueller's day off. And, you know, then you got to click, you know, there's maybe there's a scenario and you click the answer. And even if you get it wrong, you get to try again. I, I, you can, so that you show that you've passed it and everybody's completed it and it doesn't teach anybody anything. Um, even if you did it well, it tests the knowledge in that moment. And we all know with the forgetting curve that, that your knowledge fades over time and needs to be reinforced and all that stuff. So the way people are currently measuring it and the way that all the other training vendors are peddling this for years, you know, is like we got this uh, trackable course and they're awful because it doesn't track as retained. It doesn't track how people feel about ethics and compliance. It doesn't track how they feel about the speak up process. It doesn't track how, uh, if people would report, um, uh, would they stand up for someone else? Do they trust the leadership? Um, do they, do they trust a sense of organizational justice? Um, last but not least that kind of e-learning and measurement, um, tends to waste people's time and they are resentful of you for that. And, and because of that, it undermines trust. And we know that people don't speak up to ask questions and report concerns when they are annoyed, apathetic, and afraid. 
<laughs> so that's a little bit of the rant. But I'm not saying that you shouldn't track things. I'm just saying that the way that people ask the question about tracking and measuring is coming from the wrong place because it's coming from a, 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 a CYA mentality where um, according to the DOJ, according to Hugh Chen, I, I just read that uh, interview that um, Ricardo did with Hugh Chen, who's the former compliance counsel for the DOJ. Um, she says that there's no minimum requirements for training. There's no minimum length of training that's required. There's no specific completion rates. There's no obligatory training courses. The importance is to show that your program is pre preventing bad behavior. That's what they want to see. So I think that we need to kind of flip the script and, and not waste our time doing these things that we think the DOJ wants us to do that intuitively know are not effective. Ronnie, I really heard at least two different things in there, maybe three. The first one was that the training is crap. And that uh, you need shorter, more focused, entertaining training, number one. And number two is that training effectiveness measurements are only designed to determine, to measure, did you take the course? And that that is a useless method of determining training effectiveness. So how, so I really heard two different things in there. Um, how does the the crapness of the training lead Crap. to the ineffectiveness of its assessment? Well, so I'm going to take your question and, and and reframe it a little bit. If uh, so, my apologies, but uh, the because uh, I, I yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm painting with a broad brush here, so I'm not saying that you shouldn't do training. I'm saying it's overemphasized and it's typically done poorly because you're trying to jam a lot of stuff into it. And there's not enough effort put in to make sure that it is uh, thoughtful and meaningful. And, um, and I tend to think it's important to be entertaining partially because it helps with memory and recall and partially because it gets people to open up and listen and it gets people to remember. Um, uh, and it, it, it's better PR for the ethics and compliance team. Um, and that's important because you need to build trust and nobody wants to go to the office of no, nobody wants to go to the speed bump. Nobody wants to go to the finger waggy people. Um, so the more, most important point to me is like, we've all heard the phrase culture eats uh, strategy for breakfast, culture eats training for breakfast. The, the thing that I think we all intuitively know is that environment affects behavior, behavior, what your culture is like will um, is more important than having an effective course. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is if you've listened to this podcast before, I've, we've, we've covered this subject many times that the social science says that environment has a huge influence on behavior more so than knowledge. <laughs> so knowing the right thing, passing the test, um, doing that training while passing the test is only a part of the answer because um, we're influenced by our leadership. Uh, do you know? Do we how le leadership uh, uh, pushes the right things? You know, uh, that's the old um, uh, Stanley Milgram experiment. You know, about people will follow authority even when they know something's wrong, and the social environment, which is what our peers think. So, I think that we need to be reframing measurement questions and reframing our programs around how do we influence that culture. 
Um, I actually realize that as I'm talking to you here, that I'm not even sure I'm answering your question. Am I? Is this tracking with you? I, like I, I, I'm just checking in, or, or do I? Am I bringing up more questions? Well, we obviously you're bringing up more questions, but what I'm hearing you answer is really part two, which is measuring effectiveness. What I'm not really hearing is why uh, shorter, uh, funnier, more entertaining uh, training clips, or even training live, if we ever go back to that. Uh, is more effective than the traditional sort of e-learning platforms. What is the FCPA? Our policy says don't do this. You can do that. Call here for help. All right. So here's why it's more effective. Uh, Well, first of all, intuitively, we know the things that are more entertaining are more effective. Like we know this. Uh, This is why we watch television shows and we go to movies and why you you're happy when you're, when you're training your kids that they, uh, uh on things that, that you try and be entertaining and fun. Like we all intuitively know this. I feel like this is, it's sort of like we're, we're, we're thinking about that a little bit too hard, you know? Um, but, uh, shorter is certainly better because of the, there's the, uh, the forgetting curve. There's working memory. People only have a limited capacity of stuff they can work on on some time at a time so that, um, even if you know something, you tend to forget it unless it's top of mind. So being in front of people more frequently is important. Um, also, if we're trying to establish culture, um, we need to establish that speaking up is something that we all need to do, that it's not tattletaling, and there's this whole social baggage that comes with speaking up. And we need to undo the, the bad PR that ethics compliance has because people don't know what, that you're trying to help them. <laughs> you're trying to provide advice and support that you've got their back and they don't think of you that way. So uh, have, the reason you need to be entertaining and more frequent in your communications is because you need to get those messages out over and over and over again. It's like a, an advertising campaign to change the perception about what these resources mean and the only way you can get in front of people more frequently is if you're entertaining or interesting or you get message fatigue or they hate you for it. <laughs> um, now, to, and I use training separate, differently. I'm, so I'm talking about communication awareness. Training is, is understanding. Honestly, I don't care if they understand what the FCPA is about. They need to know what to do differently in their jobs. So if you're going to focus on targeted training, help them understand what they need to do differently to do their jobs more compliantly. That's an old Ricardo line. Um, versus understanding the policy. And I would argue that even if they don't understand the policy, if they know where the resources are, where to go for to for help, who to go to for help, and that, that that's a group that wants to help you and support you, that's more important than understanding it because it's preventative. They're like, I know something's here. I don't know the answer. I'm going to go ask for help. And right now they don't do that. Um, the second part of your question was about measurement back to the original rant, uh, there are things you can measure that I think get us closer to having a preventative, effective program. Uh, Measuring touch points. How easy easy is it to access information and resources? How often are things circulated? How easy is it to understand? Um, Speak up reporting numbers over time. You know, uh, how many people are going through the hotline and other channels and tracking that regularly. Um, click-through rates. 
how many times have people accessed the code? How many times have people accessed the ethics portal? How many times have people accessed the policy policy portal? Um, uh, surveys, uh, which a lot of companies do, um, but the things I would be asking are, you know, regular surveys. Do you trust leadership? Do you trust ethics compliance? Do you trust your immediate manager? Do you believe that there's, if something bad happens, that there will be organizational justice? Are people aware of the resources and do they know how to find them? You know, how likely uh, are you to speak up to report bad behavior or that you've done something wrong um, under different circumstances? Like, would you stand up for somebody else? Um, and if you are doing, uh, you know, still not convinced and you feel like you need to do that annual training or quarterly training, measure the knowledge disconnected from that training. You got to measure like, uh, do they understand the principle that you want them to understand? But don't do that just right after. Do that, you know, a month later, two months later, three months later, four months later. And I think you'll get a better sense of, sense of other people actually know the things you want them to know. Ronnie, our friend Ricardo uh, breaks down the need for training into to risk groups. So in, in his world, 80 to 90 percent, of employees need a general awareness of anti-corruption rules and regulations, policies and procedures, and maybe where to go or how to raise their hand. And there may be 20 or even 10 or 5% who are really high risk, whether they be in sales or some other um, position, which would um, either give them the ability to pay a bribe or be subject to extortion where they would be forced to pay a bribe. How, how, how do you think through the differences in those types of training? So the, the general, everybody has to have it, uh, and then, then the gatekeepers or those at higher risk that may need more specific training on go to this system, utilize this, uh, internal control, or uh, go, go immediately to compliance, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Well, so... Uh um, I, I don't necessarily have a, a I guess a, a, a new take on this um, because I, I agree with um, let me say it this way the DOJ said more targeted training right they said awareness if communication awareness is important and more targeted training so to me these are two slightly different points um, so I think uh, uh, Ricardo is exactly right in the sense that um, instead of spending all your effort on that annual training that everybody goes to, that everyone is doing, that we, that most of them are pretty bad or poorly executed or check the box. Don't spend your as much money and time on that. Spend your uh, time on the, uh, if you're doing training on the risk groups that have the highest risk and make that really targeted and focused and less on the policy and more on how to do their jobs more effectively. I think that's, really wise uh, thinking and and quite frankly, more effective. In addition, some of the things that me and my company focus on is then the thing that go to everybody is some of the things we've been talking about. Uh, where, where are resources, where to go to for help, uh, the speak up process and why that's important, unpacking the speak up process, understanding the mechanics of what happens, understanding why it's important, sharing stories, um, about what happens when things go bad. That's all about affecting the culture of like, we're the kind of company that doesn't let this kind of crap fly. So that the group think, you've heard me talk about group think, you want the group think to work for you. 
you don't want groupthink to be like, ah, you've been working hard. Go ahead and, and do that thing. It's, it's no big deal. You want groupthink to be like, you know, we don't do that here because you need to get compliance out of the compliance office and in the minds, hearts and minds of the employees. Um, and that you are there to be their advocate and supporter and coach and the helpful person who's like, yeah, let me help you think through that. And you need them to be able to reach out and ask for that help. So to sum up, prioritize the risk areas, do targeted training to help them do their jobs more effectively. But then for everybody else, spend time kind of being in the atmosphere on a more regular basis in a positive, helpful, playful way. Because then you got uh, awareness of resource, trust in the process. Um, I think that's far more important than sort of the measuring of the training that we're currently doing. Ronnie, your company learnings and entertainment has a variety of training offerings. You have some that you have created that are available for licensing or purchase. You have some that are uh, targeted towards certain of these gatekeepers. And you have uh, literally bespoke training where you will work with a client or customer to develop um, either a story they want to tell or, or perhaps specific training. Do each one of those offerings have a different purpose in the in the training realm? Well, yeah. Well, th- th- thanks for that. I was uh, a, a a lot of things that I'm espousing are things that I believe in, and I think have proven to be um, a more effective way of doing things. And I have built my company to then provide support for those things. So I do have self interest here, but the uh, the the things that we create. Um, like the communication awareness materials, I tend to focus on things that are like a minute or less or sometimes two minutes or less because that's sort of, to me, is I think of it like advertising. If it's short and interesting, you can put it in more places, which gives you that visibility that you want. It gives you, it gives you the ability to be more frequent with your messaging. So we do a lot of, you know, um, and, if it, and if your message is simple uh, and short, you can be more creative with it. So we tend to do things with a bit of musical. Um or mirror, you know, infomercials and commercials and, and things of that nature because it's a simple message done creatively. So anyway, that's sort of stuff that we create. But when you have to be more thoughtful, like you want to provide an example of a scenario uh, that might involve a FCPA violation or you want people to understand the mechanics of the speak-up process, we tend to do stories so that, that tell a full 360 view of like, here's a situation, here's what happened, then this happened, then these people did this, and then they had this excuse, but they didn't think of these policies, and then here's what happens. So then, you know, we still try and keep that to like three to four minutes, but at least it's a short way to teach. Um, And if you do want to do courses, I just always say, understand that people know that they're taking a course, so use that to your benefit. Uh, Make the course self-aware. Uh, if you have some bad stock photography, mention that, uh, if you have, have some non sequiturs in there to make sure that they're on their toes. Um, if you have a question, maybe you have three serious questions and one fun question. This is all about keeping people interested and engaged. Um, I, you've heard me say this before, but, uh, John Cleese, I love the quote from Monty Python says, the main uh, um, evolutionary significance of humor is it gets people from the closed mode to the open mode faster than anything else. So doing things, these things in an entertaining way helps 
people be open to listening to these very important messages. Um, so, Ronnie, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but uh, it's been a really interesting exploration of one of your core rants, if <laughs> I could say that. And uh, I think uh, think that our audience uh, will really get a lot out of it. So I look forward to continuing the conversation. Yeah, and I want to say the live stream, you know, you wear a nicer shirt, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> I clean up well. Yeah, you clean up well. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Creativity and Compliance. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.